Jason Miller is CEO of social media platform Getter, Newsmax contributor and former senior advisor to Donald Trump. He is active in a fight against censorship and the monopoly that Silicon Valley has. Jason, thanks for joining me. How are you today, young man? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. Uh, great to be back with you. And uh, we're very excited. We've got some good things going on with Getter. And uh, the world's a crazy place. I'm glad to be able to join you and chat about it. Yeah, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. The first thing I think that's on everybody's mind the last 24 hours is Governor Cuomo resigning. Um, I want to play this video of his from when he announced his resignation, stating his reasoning. I'm not sure a lot of people believe it, so I want to play it and get your thoughts on it. Can we go ahead with that? And wasting energy on distractions is the last thing that state government should be doing. And I cannot be the cause of that. New York tough means New York loving. <laughs> and I love New York. And I love you. <laughs> and everything I have ever done has been motivated by that love. And I would never want to be unhelpful in any way. And I think that given the circumstances, the best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to governing. And therefore, that's what I'll do. Because I work for you. And doing the right thing is doing the right thing for you. Because as we say, it's not about me. It's about we. Kathy Hochul, my lieutenant governor, is smart and competent. This transition must be seamless. Jason, he loves you. <laughs> I think he's done <laughs> stuff that's objectively bad, no matter what side you're on. The nursing homes, for example. I don't agree with his vaccine like, verbiage, where he tells people he's going to basically bust in their doors and force them. Do you believe that he, he just loves the city so much that he wants to step down? Or are you buying what this, uh, this speech was all about? He's got an Emmy, Jason. He does, and I think he might have an Oscar to add to his mantle now. Look, if you believe one single word that Andrew Cuomo said in that clip that you played, then I have some swamp land in Calgary to sell you. <laughs> because, folks, it is not happening. He, there was no road to Damascus uh, conversion. He did not wake up and magically see the light and say, oh, I just love people, and, and I just want to make sure what's best for New York State. Here's what happened. Uh, the folks in Albany went to him and said, we have the votes, you're gonna get bounced. Uh, you can either walk out on your feet or walk out, politically speaking, in a pine box. And that's what they, they went to him and told him and said, you gotta go, the votes are there. Nobody's gonna go and defend you. Uh, no one's gonna rally around you. Uh, but you know, but I do wanna say one thing here with regard to Andrew Cuomo. And I think he did a terrible job as governor. I'd say anyone who lost a family member um, uh, in one of these nursing homes would attest to that. I think anyone who lost a business in the state of New York would attest to his terrible handling of COVID. Uh, any kid who lost an entire year of school, uh, I think would point to Governor Cuomo's being a disaster. That being said, uh, look, you live by the woke, you die by the woke. If you live by virtue signaling, then you die by virtue signaling. I'm not saying that Andrew Cuomo is not a jerk or that some of his behavior sounds uh, like was inappropriate. There was no real due process. There was nothing that went through this. They basically said, you got to go. And he went because that's how it works in this in this new environment. And so, uh, you know, again, I want to I'm not going to get and defend Andrew Cuomo in one way or another. But I'm going to say that uh, when you spend all your time virtue signaling, watch out because the pendulum swings back. 
So you weren't convinced by his I kiss everyone bit. <laughs> no, um, when he, the, the day he resigned, like, I believe it was just uh, yesterday, um, the talking point put out was that he announced this to distract from the infrastructure bill, so he announced it on purpose. Do you think that could be the, the case, or is there something else? Is it just, you know, but if he knows he's going down and he can do it on any day, is there some merit to that? I, you know, I would be really surprised if that was the case, because keep in mind, Cuomo, you know, he'll go, I don't know what he'll do is he'll uh, do something to try to repair his image. Maybe he'll, you know, build some hut somewhere uh, or, you know, go try to save the whales or something like that, and then come back. He's still going to want these relationships with the Democratic Party. He's going to go and try to monetize uh, this lifetime, this whole family lineage of uh, connections. Uh, and so he wouldn't do it, I don't think, to intentionally and keep in mind also that, uh, you know, some of these uh, these votes were happening in the middle of the night. I think what happened was uh, he was at a place that he thought was untenable. And the folks in Albany, like I said, they went to him and said, the votes are there. You got to go. And it was just at a point where they didn't think they could hold the dam anymore before it burst. And so, uh, but it was a fascinating press conference. Just take a, a moment here as someone who's, who's been through a number of fascinating press conferences uh, with a number of uh, political figures uh, over my, my career. And, you know, they spent all morning with Cuomo's lawyer, essentially bashing uh, the, the accusers, uh, saying that, hey, you're going to get outed, you're going to get publicly shamed, uh, we're going to make your life very difficult for you. Then Cuomo goes and delivers his, uh, his press conference, which, you know, the first 20 minutes of it very much sounded like he was going to dig in and fight. And then he says, oh, so uh, I don't want to be a distraction anymore. I'm going to go ahead and leave. Uh, and by the way, I did great things for uh, COVID, LGBTQ community, uh, E Pluribus Unum. Uh, he threw out some other high, some random, E Pluribus Unum was one. Um, he threw out a couple other just random phrases. It was literally like, um, uh, like a, a political resignation Mad Libs with just a, a random bunch of garbage thrown in there. And then he's like, hey, 14 days, uh, I'll see you guys around. So it was it was one of the more bizarre uh, resignations uh, that I've seen. But again, uh, Cuomo has no soul. I mean, he's very much, a, uh, I mean, the, the only person who's, you know, I think probably more narcissistic than him is probably his little brother, Fredo. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the name that was on his confirmation, Fredo Cuomo, uh, but that's how he's affectionately known, Chris Cuomo from uh, the CNN mm -hmm. Communist News Network. Uh, but uh, Fredo might be the only person more narcissistic than his brother. But look, the only reason why he's leaving is because they said, we have the votes and you got to go. Jason, uh, I was reading up on the replacement there, Kathy Hochul, I, I think that's how you pronounce it, Hochul. She was being criticized and stuff that I was reading uh, from leftist sources um, for opposing driver's licenses for illegal immigrants, and that was in 2014. And my thinking is 2014 in politics is 100 years. Uh, there, I don't think there's any way that uh, a Democrat who is second in command of Cuomo comes in and does stuff like that. Do you think anything is going to actually change for, I don't know what our opinion would be for the better? No, I don't think so. And keep in mind, I think that the, uh, you know, one of the things that's kind of being swept under the rug a little bit is the fact that Hochul was not more vocal uh, with regard to Andrew Cuomo during all of this, this mess that was going on. Um, and I think that uh, Albany, both the uh, fellow politicians, but then also with regard to the media, I think they're going to be uh, paying a lot of attention. And look, I would not rule out 
uh, the state attorney general, Letitia James. I would not rule out her jumping in saying I'm making a play for governor. I mean, she's the um, she's the big powerhouse right now. And uh, if I were her, uh, I would definitely jump in. No one knows who the lieutenant governor is. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a, a very bumpy road um, if Hochul does decide to go and run and, and carry on. Yeah, I don't see too much changing from within them if they just put in his second in command. I also wanted to talk to you um, about Ted Cruz. He's putting in uh, bans on mandates, or he wants to, kind of like uh, Gavin Newsom did in Florida. So I want to get his clip out there, and I want to get your thoughts on that and whether or not you think it's going to go through. Go ahead, please, Justin. Time of crisis, people's character is revealed, and, and the character of Democrats, whether it is Joe Biden, whether it is Andrew Cuomo, whether it is Bill de Blasio, whether it is Gavin Newsom, the character from their perspective, they, they do not respect your liberty. They do not respect your right to make your choices about your health care, about your children, about your lives. My, my views were very simple. There should be no mandates, zero concerning COVID. That means no mask mandates, regardless of your vaccination status. That means no, ma no vaccine mandates. Th that means no vaccine passports. And I've introduced legislation, a bill to ban vaccine passports. This week, I'm introducing a bill to ban vaccine mandates. And this will, I'm, week, I'm introducing a bill to end mask mandates. Now, that doesn't mean, as the media likes to characterize, that I'm opposed to vaccines. I actually think vaccines are terrific. I've taken the vaccine. My family's taken the vaccine. Now, this is really uh, difficult for me to parse through, I think, because on one hand, I don't agree with mask mandates or vaccine mask or vaccine mandates. But on the other hand, I kind of lean towards thinking that if this was a different issue, an issue that I supported, if I was for, uh, uh, you know, masks, for example, which I'm not, wouldn't I want it to be mandated to go down to the local level or the school board level? What if a bunch of these parents all are all together and they say, we want this mandate? Wouldn't a mandate, a, a mandate banning mandates essentially take away the localized government and take away the ability for people to decide on a, on a municipal level to make these decisions on their own? How do you feel about that? What do you think? Well, to be honest with you, my first glance, my understanding was that was at the uh, the federal level. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe I was I was looking at it a little bit too quickly and didn't get as much of a read. But uh, yes, ultimately, I think this is something that's that's better decided uh, at the local level, at the state level. I think where we've really run into trouble is when we look to say Washington D.C. or quite frankly, in any country, when we look to the um, uh, you know whoever's version of a, a NHS or uh, might be in power or the CDC and say, you guys give us the one size fits all. I mean, the science has moved so frequently under Anthony Fauci. And, and part of that, um, you know, not to be uh, rude to rude to science, some of that is just Anthony Fauci flip-flopping in the wind in the wind with regard to uh, the United States. Uh, but uh, for example, I'm someone who, uh, look, I'm vaccinated. I'm uh, not uh, ashamed to tell people I think they, they should go get vaccinated. But I very much get concerned about vaccine passports or vaccine mandates. For a simple fact that if uh, after this step, then what's next? Saying you can't have a job uh, if you're if you're not vaccinated. Uh, that someone on CNN, uh, I hate watched it for a few minutes yesterday morning, was actually advocating that exact position. I think with masks, the science has moved so much that I'm not convinced of the effectiveness. Here's a very serious point. A little bit flippant, but it's also a serious point. 
Anthony Fauci, not that long ago, was telling people to wear two masks. Why is he not coming back and telling people to wear two masks now? Why is he only saying that kids two and up wear one mask? Why not wear two masks as he was previously advocating? It's these types of details that nobody seems to be raising and taking issue with. I do like the fact that Senator Cruz, a former boss of mine, also my second favorite Canadian after Wayne Gretzky, uh, <laughs> is making an issue of this and pushing back against um, pushing back against some of the, the overreach I've seen from the CDC. But back to your initial point, I do think this is much better decided at the local or at the state levels. Yeah, it's really interesting. And in terms of uh, Fauci, the mask, even his emails, he said, the complete opposite. He told somebody a personal email. He said, you don't need to wear it if you're not infected. So I think it's really weird that all those emails came out, which showed that all of his knowledge, we won't get into it about Wuhan, and then all his flip-flopping uh, on even on a personal level, unless he's lying to his friend. Uh, yet they still, they, t they took like a week off and then they returned to him as their, their pundit in chief. It's really weird to me that we just brush all the stuff where he was blatantly lying about under the rug. I want to go over now to... Well, and, and look, yeah, they, they, they treat him as, I mean, he's the exalted one. That he is, he is a medical Jesus. He is the one who's <laughs> going to save us uh, from COVID, except for the fact that he was helping to fund the lab, uh, except when he wasn't helping to fund the lab or uh, bowing down to Tedros, uh, the WHO, except when he wasn't bowing down to Tedros or even President Xi. Uh, look, how many days in the week are there? We'll tell you how many positions Anthony Fauci has on an issue. Yeah, and I don't want to act like I'm I'm trying to defend him. I did videos on him. I think he's willing to say whatever he needs to say at the time to, you know, make the interview end faster is the idea I get from him. I was reading your article from the Washington Times the other day. Uh, actually, I think it just, I think that must have been this morning. Um, 30, and there's a, a crazy stat in it, and, and we'll put it up after, but... Um, it, it just kind of blew my mind and I got into like the math behind it. Your article in the Washington Times, it says 36% of President Biden's voters did not know about the laptop story, Hunter Biden, of course, and at least 4.6% of them said that they would not have voted for him had they known about it. Now, that it's, the whole article is about uh, internet censorship and I think everybody should read it, but I did a little bit of the math and that's a, over 3.6 million votes, and that actually swings the popular vote in Trump's favor. Now, take that as you will, you'd have to break down where all those votes are, but we know some people always like to go by, well, he won the popular vote, they love doing that with Hillary. Um, I just think that's a, a crazy stat. Why do you think, is there a clear-cut answer why they didn't want the Hunter Biden stuff out there? Because it, it still to this day comes out. You see some more hilarious photos or videos. There is that phone call he recorded himself uh, and shirtless in his lap <laughs> on his laptop, smoking, <laughs> I think, meth or crack while he's on the phone with somebody. Is there a defined? Did we find out the defined reason as to why? They uh, they blocked that on Twitter and everything, or is it just as we think it was to you know just hide it from the voters? Well, I mean, with regard to doing a little meth while you're on a phone call, I mean, who among us? I mean, you know, we're not going to uh, throw some stones here. Um, but look, this was this is just very blatant. Um, this was an effort where big tech and big media came together to say that they did not want damaging information uh, out prior, uh, prior to an election. And to be clear here, look, I, I realize that Hunter Biden has had some very serious issues with substance abuse and some other, uh, it, when you see about his relationship with his father, it's actually pretty, uh, it's pretty sad uh, to want to see some of it. But here's the, here's the let's, let's put that aside for a moment. 
it's the Biden family corruption. It's going back to the swamp. It's going back to the elites. It's going back to the establishment that if you're born into a certain name, that if you've gone to a certain school, that things magically fall your way. It's the exact same reason why President Trump won in 2016, because he was taking on the powers that be. And so, for example, when you look at the Clinton Global Initiative uh, and the way that that blew back on Crooked Hillary in 2016, you look at the Biden family, Inc. This is a half century of grift, not just from Hunter, but from James and Frank, the president's brothers, who've literally, they've spent the last half century just making money selling access. And it's it shows you exactly what's going to, I mean, look now, it's almost as if you could have predicted this. The fact that Hunter Biden is selling his rehab paintings for 500 grand a piece, $500,000 from basically, you know, one hour therapy session that he goes and, and puts out there, Nobody's buying those because they they just think that it's uh, Picasso uh, reincarnated. They're buying because they think that will help them get access to then the Biden administration. So everything that we thought was going to come true has come true. And that's why big tech and big media sat, sat on that story. They did not want damaging info about Biden, Inc., the grifting, the international corruption, the fact that Biden is compromised by everyone from the CCP to the Ukrainians to these other countries. And we've never seen something like that before. It's why I titled the op-ed, this is the worst year for censorship in American history. Uh, because what we've seen with whether it's shutting down talk of the Wuhan lab or shutting down people willing to criticize Fauci or criticizing um, uh, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden at all, we've never seen censorship, coordinated censor censorship and political discrimination on this level. Yeah, the big guy, they call him. You know, you can't- 10%, uh, 10% for the big guy. People just have to read that stuff. It's the same thing as I mentioned with the Fauci emails. Even if you go back to the Podesta emails, if you just read the stuff, you'll have vastly more knowledge on these topics and you'll be able to predict some of the stuff that's gonna happen based on words from their own mouth. So I wanna, I wanna transition that together. And we, the last time we talked, we talked about some of the features and I wanna get to more of those in a bit, but I wanna talk about when you first started it, what was like this big, the big idea you had or the biggest goal you had when you started Getter from the get-go? What did, what was like the first thing you wrote down? First thing I wrote down is number one, free speech. Number two, oppose cancel culture. And that's, those are really the two principles that we started with. And as we, this was before there was any uh, market research or figuring out how many folks might be willing to come to a new platform. It's, you know what, we need to support free speech and oppose cancel culture. It doesn't matter what country you're in. It doesn't matter what political party, what your ideology. Those are really the two founding principles that I think can bring everyone together. Now you fast forward five weeks later, two million users, uh, about half of that's in the US, half is around the country. Uh, Canada right now is our number four biggest country with regard to a user base. Uh, the top three being number one, the US, number two, Brazil, about 15%, then Japan and Canada's right behind. Uh, so uh, Canada is going to be a uh, very important partner for us as we talk about growth. Obviously, you look at the users per population, you see we have a, a very good start with regard to Canada. A um, couple of features we have uh, just waiting for the app to be approved. We'll have notifications coming soon. The live streaming is right around the corner. The online appreciation, online tipping uh, will be coming up. And so some really cool things coming and great folks have joined this platform. Uh, really excited. It'll be Mike Pompeo and Ben Carson, President Bolsonaro, 
Uh, and I think we have a couple other world leaders that are right at the cusp. We're about ready to hopefully get them on the platform or worldwide political figures. And so that's kind of a, it's a fun thing. I think that in, a, I never thought that I'd be unifying the world in their opposition to big tech. Uh, and as I, I told you last time we had the opportunity to talk, if you're frustrated as an American that three billionaires in Silicon Valley are dictating your free speech rights, imagine if you live outside of the US. If you're someone who's in Canada, you're like, wait a minute, why are these three billionaires in Silicon Valley, a different country, tell me what my free speech rights are? It's the same sentiment all around the world. People want their self-determination. They want their political free speech, and they're tired of the political censorship. Yeah, and a lot of the stuff I was going to ask you, you just answered right there. That's really cool. I started on... YouTube, I think in 2017, and I watched the algorithm change. I watched the censorship grow um, and hide my content from viewers. I went from millions a month to thousands a month. And the just having been on Getter for, I think, less than a month now, I can tell that it's natural growth. Like people actually see things. So I'm happy about that. I think the tips are a big thing. And I wanted to ask you if you had a plan um, for who you want to partner with or who you are partnering with for uh, payment processing. Because all the stuff that's coming out, uh, we're going down the road now of political bias in payment processing. Do you have any news you can share on that? Uh, so that's uh, yes and no. Uh, the bottom <laughs> line is that we actually kind of the where this becomes then a profitable entity. Of course, there's the uh, the uh, online tipping, the online appreciation, much in the same way that you give bits to someone who's on Twitch. Uh, but people used to be able to monetize, for example, their Facebook content. And they're not able to do that anymore. And we see YouTube continually keeps taking people down. We want Getter to be a place where content creators or uh, show hosts, uh, folks like yourself can go and, you know what, I can put up my episode, I can put up my uh, my video and not have a, a fear of it being taken down uh, because someone in Silicon Valley doesn't like that. Um, and so what we're actually working through on the, the payment side, we have, uh, I met with my eng chief engineer this morning to go through some of the timelines on these things, but we actually even want to work in Getter Pay, a direct uh, competitor to Apple Pay and Alipay. Mm -hmm. Uh, that'll be essentially our own payment system uh, provider. And so that's that's a little bit further down the road, hopefully not too much further, because uh, as my board members keep saying, we're not running a nonprofit forever. This does need to become a, a profitable entity at a certain point. Uh, but you're right, every step of the way, I have to think through uh, independence, I have to think through redundancies, I have to make sure that we're not going to be undercut or deplatformed uh, simply because, uh, again, some woke oligarch wakes up and says, eh, these guys are getting a little too big for the britches. Time to deplatform them. One of the things I liked that I was noticing and thinking about the other day about Getter is that when you post, for example, this is just one of the things. For example, you post a link and a video because a lot of the stuff when we promote on here, I post a link to the article and I post a clip from this episode, let's say, and it actually shows both. Twitter doesn't do that, so it'll show you both the video and then it'll have the article underneath. I thought that was just really cool, something I wanted to tell people about. And I also like how fast the videos upload uh, in comparison to especially Parler, which goes super slow, and Twitter, which is still slower than Getter. So maybe that's something people can think about. Um, you you covered pretty much anything. Any other integrations you want to tell us about that are coming? Or do you think you covered? I think you covered most. Like a lot of I stuff think that's there. that. And actually, you know, we've, we've gotten some really good feedback from folks. Um, I am, and, and I continue to hound on this. So my, my poor engineers who I, I yell at all the time. Um, I do want to get a, essentially a, um, 
similar to as we see in the clubhouse or locker room, the ability for folks to uh, have uh, online audio conversations uh, with each other is essentially an audio chat room. Uh, I really like that feature, especially if say you're uh, say you're a political figure and you want to do the proverbial emergency press conference, uh, that you can just uh, hit a button and start talking, and people can pick you up live. Uh, I think that's fantastic. I also want to do a little bit more when it comes to some of the, the coalitions and community building so people can join uh, different groups and they can be part of uh, different things that they, they like to follow. And of course, also, I want to get translations uh, in there uh, pretty soon. We're up right now, I think we're in nine or 10 languages. I just uh, authorized today uh, to get moving. We'll have Italian added in a couple of days, Hungarian, uh, Polish. Uh, so we have a number of different languages that are being added. I like interacting with folks from other countries. I like reading news sources from other countries. Having that will really, uh, really get people the ability to uh, to follow things that are going outside of their sphere. And again, I think there's this really great synergy with people in different countries to say, you know what, I'm America first, or I'm Canada first, or Brazil first. I believe in my right to self-determination. I believe in my country, but you know what? I like to connect with people who are just as uh, prideful uh, about their country and their self-determination. And I think in a, uh, in a counterintuitive way, in a way that the media wouldn't have thought, uh, I'm actually seeing a lot more here in the U.S., a lot more, say, uh, mega, uh, make America great again type folks who are now interested in following and learning about people in other countries than maybe ever before. And so I, I think there's a, a great way to bring the world together out of this drive for political free speech and self-determination. Yeah, it's a really cool platform. I'm glad you're able to share all that stuff for us. And for everybody watching, he does not sponsor this show. I just like the platform. I'm open to it though. Um, before I let you go, I wanna to talk to you about Trump. There's so many questions that come up uh, when we talk about the job that you had. How, how do you get approached for a job like that? How do you get approached to say, come on board and, and speak directly with the president all the time and, and give advice to him? How does that happen? Uh, so a couple of things here. Um, I initially, when President Trump was thinking about running for president in 2012, it was technically in 2011, earlier on in that cycle, um, a former business partner of mine, or actually I guess at the time he was a, a current business partner still, uh, was friends with Jared Kushner and made the introduction. And so if President Trump had won in 2012, then I would have been his campaign manager for the overall campaign. Obviously, he did not run. Uh, Mitt Romney ran, um, lost a race that he easily should have won. Uh, but then uh, as President Trump went in 2016, uh, I wasn't sure that he, he was going to run. Uh, ended up, I, I, as I mentioned before, worked with Ted Cruz. Initially, he finished second. And then about a month after that race, then I got a call again from Jared Kushner saying that uh, now President Trump would like to meet with me. Uh, he knew me from the campaign trail, didn't really knew me from years before, but didn't have a close personal relationship. I had worked for Mayor Rudy Giuliani back in 2008 when he ran for president. Uh, we didn't do particularly well. Uh, I thought I did well in his campaign, but we didn't really win. Um, but so I, we had some some friends in common, some commonality. And I, uh, you know, when I asked Jared that, and this is a, a real long answer to your short question, uh, why are you guys calling me? Why are you interested in having me? He said, because you're, you can adapt and you're used to working with larger than life personalities. And you know how to uh, take your job serious, but not take yourself too serious. And uh, and then he kind of said, well, and we've also tried everybody else and they haven't worked. So uh, now we're at you. So 
Now, so I'm not sure which one it was. Either way, I'm very appreciative for the, the opportunity that Jared and then President Trump gave me. I actually spent an hour with President Trump yesterday, uh, working him some more on uh, trying to come over together. Uh, I think it got a little bit closer. Uh, no nice. no nice. announcements or anything, but I'm, I'm working it. So uh, it is kind of fun when, when you go back in and, and spend some time with uh, uh, with President Trump. And so uh, still in very close contact with his team. Uh, and obviously, I'm going to be a, a, a loyal supporter uh, uh, indefinitely. Did you guys go to dinner? Did you guys go golfing? What did you guys do? So my my golf game is uh, pretty trifling, uh, and his is actually pretty good. And so I stay away from that. Out of uh, I, I like to like Sun Tzu said, fight on terrain that's good for you. Uh, so I went into I went into his office and just we just had a one on one meeting uh, in his office there in Trump Tower on the the twenty sixth floor uh, with a, a similar shot. He's at the other side of Central Park um, from where I'm, so I have Central Park back behind me here, and we just spent about an hour, a little, little bit of catch up stories, a couple of fun things. Uh, but uh, I tell you one thing on President Trump, there was no formal declaration or indication. He sounds like somebody who's running again in 2024. That's that's very much the takeaway that I have uh, in my my conversation with him. But again, no formal announcement. But boy, he sounds like someone who who plans on running again. Wow. Okay. Uh, I I also wanted to ask you, you're in a position you were in a position to, you know, give advice to the president. Was there any time or any topic where he came to you for advice advisement if when is there any time or topic where he came to you for advice on something really huge and really crazy and you're thinking i can't wow i can't believe i'm in this position where i get to advise the president on this do you have any story you can share about something like that uh, i would say you know what on the uh, i'd say with president trump uh, part of part of the relationship is i would always put ideas up in front of him uh, and president trump to his i think this is one of the things people don't understand uh, or might not realize is he's actually a very good listener. If you're someone who, if President Trump says, uh, what do you think about saying something in this fashion or taking this course of action? He is open to people disagreeing with him or pushing back as long as you have, uh, as long as you understand what he's trying to accomplish and you say, here's a, another way you can effectively accomplish this goal. So there are numerous times where I would offer, uh, say, you know, a, an alternative direction or maybe some pushback uh, or work with him. And plenty of times where he would just say, no, I think your answer is wrong. <laughs> or, you know, this sounds like the stupid Washington way of doing things. Um, and, you know, you just have to smile and, okay, well, I, I swing, swing and a miss on that one. Um, but uh, no, but he, but he is—he's uh, willing to listen, uh, and he'll—he'll—he'll he'll, he'll, a lot of times he'll take your advice. I would say that the—I um, would say that probably one of the most consequential uh, conversations where I helped out uh, was probably the night of January sixth. And as I worked with President Trump and the First Lady Melania Trump to craft the the statement that President Trump put out that evening uh, after Joe Biden was formally announced as the uh, the winner of the presidential race when the electoral votes were counted. And I think at the time I realized how big of a, uh, considering what everything that happened that day, uh, just as big of a, uh, a momentous uh, occasion that was. At the time I realized a little bit um, that we were at the, uh, that that was a, say a moment for the history books or in President Trump's case, uh, a moment for the three dozen post-presidency books uh, that seem to be coming out every week. Um, so that, that was an example of a time where I was kind of right there. But a lot of times on these things, you don't realize how big it is until later, uh, but you, you can't blink and you can't be shy. Uh, there, President Trump's orbit is not one for wallflowers. If you're in the room, you're expected to have an opinion. And if you can't offer an opinion and back up the reason why, then he probably won't have you back in the room again. I always thought that the Trump team 
uh, during the presidency was really good at connecting with influencers. And I don't mean like what they did the other day with this guy in a dress with long nails going to the White House, but I, I mean like actual cool people like Dana White and the UFC fighters. I don't know if you remember the YouTubers Nelk who he brought on stage, I think it was in Florida, to dance with him. Who is responsible for vetting that sort of stuff? Because I think they did a really good job while he was in office. Uh, you know what? There are a million different entry points kind of into the, the Trump orbit sometimes. Something might be from the, the OPL, the Office of Public Liaison. Uh, those might be some of the more business people. Uh, Jared Kushner was a frequent uh, conduit or entry point for, can say, kind of people in the celebrity space. Uh, but, you know, if you're someone who the president trusts and uh, you've brought ideas to him, uh, so, for example, uh, Katrina Pearson, uh, someone who handled a lot of our a lot of our African-American community outreach. Um, I think she was the one who brought to us uh, uh, Lil Pump, one of the rappers that came on stage uh, during the president's uh, final speech in Pennsylvania or next to the final speech in Pennsylvania as we're flying around in, in 2020. Uh, if, if President Trump uh, trusts your judgment and thinks that you're gonna bring good people into, into the orbit, there are a number of different entry points, but uh, there's, there's a certain fun factor with President Trump that's different. People don't view him, even today they don't view him as the politician. Uh, they view, he has his own unique brand and that's so many people from different walks of life. I'll tell you one final thing on this moment. I had an opportunity once it was at our um, one of our events in Georgia where President Trump was backstage with Herschel Walker, uh, of course, who the all-star running back uh, for the, the Georgia Bulldogs in college, the New Jersey Generals uh, for the USFL team that mm -hmm. President Trump owned, and then the Cowboys and the, and the Vikings. And seeing those two men who've literally been friends for 35 years just hang out and kind of uh, shoot the breeze uh, with each other, uh, talking about football and different things, two completely different walks of life. And just watching the way that they uh, that they would interact, it was literally as if his two college buddies getting back together a few decades later. And uh, people don't realize that President Trump is, is very approachable, and he's a he's a human being too. Uh, and he has his friends, and he, he's very loyal. And so, uh, watching some of those interactions uh, were pretty fascinating. Jason, the last thing I want to ask you about, and you've t you've given so much great content already. I'm not sure if you're allowed to talk about this. The leak, so the silly leaks that would come out of the uh, the administration, uh, the ones that were obviously, in my opinion, I'll say, were done on purpose to get to find out who the person was doing, to find out which person was doing it. One of them that I remember was uh, something about Trump watching a gorilla channel and, <laughs> and all these sorts of crazy things where I would read the article and I'd be like, come on, like that's something that you send out to people and you you send out people different things and you see which one gets out into the media. Was that a big concern uh, that was going on at the time? And how did that get weeded out? Is it what I think it was or are you even allowed to talk about that? No, it's uh, look, they, I think they call it in spy world, a blue dye test uh, where you go and uh, dump in the blue dye and see where, where it comes out on the other end. I think early in the administration, uh, that was an issue, not later in the administration. I think by the time the president got to the last year or so of his administration, you really had a good sense of commonality, really had a sense of, of people come together, kind of a, a focused uh, point of mission. And uh, look, a lot of it, here's one thing that people don't realize, sometimes these weren't necessarily intentional leaks uh, where people are trying to quote unquote, take someone out. Could be one person repeats it to another person who accidentally says it too loud on a, on a Metro bus and somebody else hears it. You'd be surprised sometimes. Or the other thing too, uh, keep in mind that you have in Washington, 
you have snipers that are shooting at you from angles you don't even know. So say, for example, Peter Navarro, uh, who was the office of, uh, in the Office of Trade and uh, in the American Worker, or Buy American, Hire American, rather, he asked me once who had pushed a negative story on him. I said, Peter, do you realize that the entire country of China who you're pushing for tariffs on has a reason to be upset with you? Literally a country of 1.4 billion people uh, who are that motivated. And if you have that country like that, of course, they have business interests here. There are corporations you've never even heard of, Peter, who uh, who are going to look to try to uh, push negative stories on you or try to beat you up just because of a, a business interest or some kind. And so, uh, again, that wasn't, uh, you know, Peter was asking me if was there someone else in the administration trying to take aim at him. I go, Peter, you have entire countries who are upset with you. Um, don't think that it's you know some jabroni uh, deputy assistant secretary to the nobody down in the basement. Uh, it, it could be you know a big powerful player with billions of capital behind him. It's crazy the stuff you must have had to deal with, and uh, I, I think you guys did a great job with that. Not to be a you know a bud kisser, but like like I said with the the influencers and just the the whole feel of it. I think was just what so many people latched onto, if, whether it was Dana White, YouTube influencers, UFC fighters who were against communism, that sort of thing. Thanks a lot, Jason. Thanks for the inside information and all the stuff on Getter. Is there anything else you want to say before we let you go? No, thank you very much. Appreciate your being on Getter. Look forward to continuing to push and promote what you guys are doing. Some exciting new features that are coming soon. Uh, look forward to also uh, now that... Uh, um, uh, now that Americans are being allowed back into Canada, uh, or at least that's what the announcement that I saw this week, I hope to be up to, to visit soon. Uh, we have a lot of great supporters, a lot of great allies um, in Canada. In fact, one of my favorite, uh, Mission is Great, uh, which is a great Getter account. Uh, my friend Doug, uh, he's a, a good follow on Getter. Uh, so we have, we have some, uh, uh, some really cool Canadian supporters uh, and just uh, keep on growing and expanding. Yeah, if you come to Toronto, come to the studio. We'll give you all the free snacks that Rebel News has to offer. It's a big selling point of this office. Thanks a lot, Jason. Go to getter.com, you guys. And of course, read his article that we mentioned there in Washington Times. Thanks a lot, Jason. Thanks again.